what? You have a podcast? I can't let you do that, Kyle. The world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. We're a generation of men raised by women. See, I'm in charge here. I drop this stick, huh? And they pick your friend up with a sponge. Are you ready to die, friend? Fuck you. Oh, in 200 years, we've come for my regret, but I have one life to give for my country to fuck you. The leads are weak. The fucking leads are weak. You're weak. I've been in this business 15 years. What's your name? Fuck you. That's my name. <laughs> you know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear a lamentation of the women. Was it legal? Fuck legal. Am I a nice man? Fuck nice. They say terrible things about me in the nation. Fuck the nation. You want to be nice or you want to be effective? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? Is this how you turn down a Hollywood Pinocchio that uh, cries like a woman? <laughs> What can I do? What can I do? What is that nonsense? Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! know my dad growing up not really um he was home uh he's still married to my mother uh they never were separated um he worked second shift my entire life living uh in the house so that meant that i really only saw him on weekends um i would go off to school and he would be sleeping in the mornings. Uh, by the time I got home, he had left for work. And I would go to bed and he would still be at work. Um, so I didn't see him Monday through Friday. So I opened today with a bunch of uh, clips because I was raised as far as you know, definitions of what it meant to be a man. I didn't really have my dad for that. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't interact with him. We did interact on weekends, um, but it was only like a half day because obviously he would sleep until about noon uh, on Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're up at like six. So half my day's already gone and he's just now waking up. And, you know, waking up when you're older is definitely a slower process than when you were a kid, right? Um, you know, wake up, get my coffee, read the paper. I mean, there were steps. 
before you could go ahead and interact. And uh, we didn't do much together. Um, nothing as far as like uh, an, an active activity, I guess. Uh, we'd watch TV, we'd watch movies. Uh, maybe that's why these particular quotes, uh, these lines from movies affected me so much. You know, my dad was there in the room as I saw most of these, as I heard most of these for the first time. So, in a way, I was raised with movie depictions in the 80s and 90s as what it meant to be a man, you know. Culturally, that's, that's what it was. Um, I think the first... The first time I even saw a depiction of men uh, being goofballs and not, you know, extremely masculine and serious all the time was probably uh, the TV show Friends, you know. Um, but that was such an outlier that it really didn't leave an imprint on me, even though probably I related more to that because I am a goofball by nature. I'm actually not very serious at all. Um, I have serious moments for sure. But I am a bit of an oddball, you know. I, I tell jokes when things get nervous. I deflect with humor whenever I can. And so I opened, and, and I, I constantly think, because at first I thought I was the outlier, you know. And, and in school, I started school the year early. I started when I was four years old. I barely made the cutoff, and I went in early, so... One year when you're in elementary school and then later high school does make a huge difference. When everyone else is 16 and you're still 14 and a half, um, you know, all your classmates are off going to do, you know, 16-year-old things and you're kind of left behind. Uh, so I was smaller, of course, physically, but I also was emotionally less mature than the other men around me. And we already know males... You know, we mature way, way slower than than women do. So, you know, I had that as kind of a double disadvantage. Um, the, the women in my, you know, high school when I started to finally, you know, take interest uh, were not interested in me at all. I was way below their, you know, where, where they were focusing on. Um, and I didn't know what was wrong, you know. Uh, my dad's advice when it came to women was just be yourself. And I'm like, that's totally not helpful. I don't know how to be myself. Um, I was stuck, you know, within the same generation and yet not of it. My friends, I didn't have any after a certain point. I've always been a, a very small circle of friends, you know, one or two uh, people that I, that I talk to and can connect with. Uh, I am not a huge, you know, collector of friends. That's never been me. So when I went from elementary school where I had two friends to middle school where I had none, uh, one of them was in a grade behind me and the other went to a different school. So from sixth grade on, I was a bit of an outcast. I was socially incapable of connecting with my peers, um... And I didn't know what to do about it. Um, now, the interesting part is these clips that I played at the beginning didn't even really have a huge effect on me. Uh, what really had an effect on me was uh, more something along the lines of Back to the Future, uh, where uh, Marty's mother you know, basically falls in love with his dad because he was injured. You know, that whole nurse-patient, you know, uh, relationship. Uh, and, it, and it happened to turn romantic, where otherwise this guy never would have even gotten close to her, right? She was definitely out of his league, but she had that connection. Um, and I took all the wrong lessons from all of that stuff, right? Um, which was... Uh, for some reason, you want to be the quiet kid in the back of the room. You know, girls will uh, want to talk to you 
because uh, they take pity on you, right? And I wasn't looking for anything romantic at the time. I was I was looking just to have a conversation, but I didn't even know how to do that um, at all. And looking back on it now, I probably came across as extremely creepy more often than not. Um, not intentionally. I didn't know what I was doing at all. And the models that I had chosen were the ones that I fit because I wasn't the athlete. I wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger. I wasn't, you know, a really handsome guy like Keanu Reeves. I was not revenge-driven like Inigo Montoya. You know, I, I just didn't, I didn't have any of that. I was just this loser kid who was socially stunted by age. Um, and so for the first, you know, young adult portion of my life, I was completely lost. And so then, of course, you know, these movies, I joined, I joined the Navy. And in the Navy, what I found out was I'm not alone. I was not an outlier. Um, there were a lot of guys in the Navy who were just as confused and didn't know who they were, you know. And sure, we had the Navy, but I don't... It, you, you have to understand that that doesn't teach you how to be man. That doesn't teach you how to be male. That teaches you how to be a weapon of war. Um, and, and those are not the same thing. Uh, you know, there, there may be some overlapping qualities here and there, but that is not anything. And, and also, you know, uh, you, you can argue that the Navy was there, but nobody, nobody listens to the Navy. Like, it's so weird. Um, every depiction in the West of, you know, medieval Japanese samurai on film, uh, all the samurai follow this very strict code and they're all very strict and, and they do all the right things per their code, you know, and they follow Bushido and they're really, you know, badasses and they all do this thing. You know, that's not accurate. That is the West's interpretation of what the samurai were because we read, one or two books, which was basically the hand guide of how to be a samurai, and then and then we made whole films as if the entire culture were that were that way. Well, you know that that would be like if somebody took the handbook that they give you when you first go into high school and it tells you you know how to dress and the code of conduct and all that BS, and then they built a whole movie where every member of the cast, every student in the high school, totally followed that, and there was no deviation whatsoever. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just not accurate. So while the Navy could be the Navy, and yeah, you can put some stereotypes on the military in general and, and you know, how we look and how we dress, and that's intentional. They, they do strip you of all personal identity so that you can be one unit. And in a wartime scenario, you do want that. Um, it, it, it fits, you know. We're, we're very good at war by now. We've been around for a couple thousand years. We know how to do war very well. Um, and, and it is, it is repeated over and over again because it works, but there were individuals in the Navy. There were people who deviated from that. And usually what we did in our free time, because we're trapped on the boat, is sit around and watch movies. Glenn Gary against Glenn Ross. I mean, we wouldn't even watch the rest of the movie. We'd just watch the opening with uh, Baldwin, you know, going off on these salesmen who aren't doing their jobs well. Uh, and then we'd turn it off. We'd watch Conan, you know, and we would quote that opening line over and over again, what is best in life? But those those things ended up being reinforced commonly, even to the point where, you know, and I, let, I, I put it in there on purpose, the Inigo Montoya, you know, you killed my father, prepare to die scene, because that is played for this grand climax of this character's story like this is it he has spent the whole movie building to this point and it is masterfully done i mean from the uh, the trumpet sounding with every clang of the sword to you know uh his his enunciation of the words his 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 building up from a almost a whisper to the roar at the end and of course he gets his revenge and it's so cathartic and everything and we remember that, and it's, it's, it's played that way. Uh, but I think 
the more important lesson that we all forget is at the end uh, where he's actually sitting and he's, he's talking to the man in black and the man in black asks him, now that you've got your revenge, what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know. That's the more important part, yet that is that is a throwaway at the very end, and, you know, we assume he goes into piracy and everything's great for him. You know, but, but that's not how real life works, and that is how revenge works. And meanwhile, we get these, uh, you know, uh, movies, the most, most famous comic book movie of all time is always the Batman series. You know, it doesn't matter who's playing him or what, you know, Batman is like the pinnacle of it. But what we have to remember is, and, and it really it's the best depiction of this character is in a cartoon, the Harley Quinn series on HBO, uh, where he's played as an extremely tortured individual who is broken beyond repair and can't move on. And you just, you know, you're almost sitting there and they even make a joke out of it is like, you know, if you'd have just gone to therapy after your parents were killed, you, you, we could have avoided so much, you know. Um, but yet there are a lot of men out there who aspire to be it, which is odd. All this is to say is that, you know, movies, you know, our culture has kind of poisoned the well. You know, somewhere along the line, a man's worth became tied to how much money he could make. And, and who he could control and who he could dominate. Well, when there's no battlefield to do so, you know, you, you end up at the, at the workplace. And a lot of men go into the workplace with this warlike mentality. Us versus them. I have to win. If I'm not making money, I'm not winning. And that is not helpful at all. But money becomes tied to how much you're worth. And you're told in school how to make money. And then you get a job. Or, or perhaps you, you seek higher education because you are told the more educated you are, the more money you will make. The more success you will have, the happier you will be. So you go ahead, and you, you go to school, you achieve that level of education, you go and get that job. You work your ass off, right? Because they all say, even even just recently in the last episode of uh, Bill Maher, they talked about, oh yeah, you know, when you're in your 20s, you know, they were talking about this quiet quitting phenomenon, which I'm not entirely 100% on. Uh, you, you know, they're, they're talking about this new phenomenon with the, with the younger generation, the quiet quitting and how, you know, when we were young, we worked our ass off and now look at us, we're on TV and we have money. And it's like, oh God, you guys are missing it. But that's... That's kind of where we are right now. You know, we, we work our ass off and we expect to be rewarded because that's what we're told will happen. Follow the rules, bust your ass, you will be rewarded. Now, I followed this mantra. I totally believed it in the Navy and when I got out of the Navy. Uh, the only difference between the Navy and not was that while I was in the Navy, a lot of shitbags, a lot of shitbags, could get away with doing the bare minimum and they would get paid the exact same amount as me. And that was to a degree infuriating. Um, I was younger then, I was in my 20s. So I saw that as a complete affront to everything I believed in. I was just like, what the fuck? Why are you here if you're not gonna put in 110%? Like what the hell, right? So I go into good old capitalist America and I try my hand at that, and I bust my ass. I work hard. I make mistakes, sure, I'm human, and it was my first real, you know, outside of the military kind of a job. Um, but I did well. I got high reviews. I got high marks. I did really well. Um, and then I was laid off. And I was like, what the hell? And when I got laid off from that first job, that was the uh, a long descent, you know, I was the victim. I was aggrieved. I, I was I was angry. I mean, it was it was like what what the hell? I did everything right. I did everything you told me to. 
And what made it even worse was, you know, I was laid off, but they didn't shut down the place. You know, they, 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 they were still open. They just cut bodies. And I was suddenly sitting there looking around the room and like, who did you keep? And they kept, they kept so many people who I was just like, why? Right? Because this was my first rodeo, all right? This, this was my first time in the whole layoff system. I know there are other people who probably would laugh at this, you know, who'd been laid off multiple times. But I'm sitting there and I'm looking around the room. And, and when they first announced layoffs, me and a couple other people who were about the same age in the same situation, uh, you know, we're sitting around. We're like, okay, well, you know, they're going to do layoffs. Because they, of course, announced it like a month before they did it. And we're all sitting there like, okay, well, so-and-so over there, he literally punched his supervisor, <laughs> right? Both the supervisor and him were suspended without pay for a period of time. Uh, so obviously they're gone, right? I mean, you, you just do that. You, you get rid of that person. It makes sense. And then there was another guy who they found passed out in the men's room with uh, cloth towels soaked in acetone, around his face okay he was huffing paint thinner in the bathroom and they found him unconscious and they suspended him with pay because they thought he was going to seek treatment uh and then of course he didn't i think he went to disney world instead with his family and like posted it all on uh, social media when social media was brand new and i mean the company found out and was so pissed off that they actually rewrote their drug policies uh, because they, they wanted to be lenient. They wanted to help him get, you know, everything. So they, they gave him paid time off. They said, hey, go get treatment. Go get yourself right. And instead he went on this, you know, paid vacation basically. And when he came back, they're like, well, the rules state that he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, so they literally changed their entire policy on the matter because of him. And I'm sitting here like, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to, they're going to, they're going to shit can him, right? I mean, that, that just makes sense. I didn't have anything like that. Uh, you know, I, I didn't hit people. I, uh, I I certainly wasn't huffing paint thinner. Yet when layoffs came, I was cut and they weren't. And when they did layoffs at this particular place, and it was extremely eye-opening, I'm kind of glad they did it because it did shape a lot of what came after for me. They, uh, they rounded us all up, whoever was going to get laid off. Our supervisor would come into the room and be like, hey, Kyle, you know, come with me. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, okay. You know, so so we get marched up into, into a conference room, and all of us are in the room, and we all have the same dumbfounded look on our faces, like, what the fuck did you do? Like, seriously, we all thought we did something wrong. And we're all looking at each other like, I thought you were good. I, I thought you were one of the best this place has. Like, we were all looking at each other like that. We're like, what the fuck is going on? Well, the people who made the decision as to who got fired and who got kept, they didn't care who was a good worker and who wasn't. They cared who made too much money. I was hired when the economy was a red-high rocket, so I was getting paid above current market value. On top of that, because I did well during my reviews, I always got a raise that was a little bit higher. We're talking like half a percentage point. A little bit higher than everyone else in my group. So I was literally making too much money. I was making too much money because I was good at what I was doing. No one denied that. Oh no, Kyle Frame, he puts out good product. He's fantastic. He's good. And yet, I was punished for that. I was cut loose. I had to go on unemployment for six months in the middle of the 2008 financial crisis because I was too good at my job. I followed the rules. I did exactly what they told me to. I excelled, so I had to be let go. I mean, that flies in the face of everything that I was told, and I wasn't alone. Again, I was in a room full of people who were like that. What do you mean we're getting canned? You're keeping, you're keeping those guys? What the hell? And this wasn't a one-off. This is how, th this is Business 101 I come to find out afterwards. Whether or not you get laid off, when the time comes, has absolutely nothing to do with your personal record or code of conduct. 
or even how well you do your job. It comes down to how much money do you make. We can cut Kyle because he costs more than Jerry over here who is huffing paint thinner. His name was not Jerry. I'm just throwing that out there. And that really broke me. And six months of being on unemployment, because again, this was the worst time to be unemployed as far as finding a job. It was hell. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky and glad that unemployment was there. But it was hell. It shook everything. And I wasn't alone. And the next job I got was, you know, they, they chew you up and they spit you out. They routinely wanted 15, 16 hour days. Routinely. Without question. And they put me in a bad spot on top of it. I was, I was a field technician. So I was, I was out and about, I had a van and it had, you know, parts and I would go from place to place. And at first what they do when they hire you, and it was, it was very smart on their part to be like, okay, you live here. So we're going to make sure that all your calls are in that area because in Washington state, it's called portal to portal. So my job starts as soon as I get into my car, not when I get to my first job, like at Oregon, um, so it would behoove the company to keep me close to where I live. So that way they're not paying me for basically just being on the road stuck in traffic. And let me tell you, the traffic up here can be fun. Uh, and at first that was great. And I was kicking ass and taking names. Again, I was excelling. And I was like, I am not going to get laid off again. Didn't need to. Uh, because again, this, this, this particular job wanted you to work 15-hour days. Your days off, you were on call. And that typically meant you were putting in a 12-hour day. So you didn't have a day off. And you worked all the time. And your hours also shifted. There was no guarantee. You, you didn't have 9 to 5. The job I was involved in was a 24-7 gig. Um, so I had to be available 24 hours a day for this thing. And again, they wanted 15 hours a day. 15 because in the state of Washington, anything over 15 is against the law. You can't work that. That doesn't include lunch times. But so I'm putting in 15 hour days and they're demanding it too. Like one time after three 15 hour days in a row, uh, I finally wasn't on call and I told somebody, I'm like, hey, when my shift is over at the end of my eight hours, I'm done. I'm going home. And they're like, oh, what? It's a complete shock to them. I had a whole argument with them over the phone uh, because. I told him, I was like, look, I'm sorry, but I have put in 45 hours in three days. I'm going to finish up my eight hour day here today. You need to get somebody else out to finish this particular unit that I'm working on because it's a long one. And I'm sorry about that, but I, I need, I need to sleep, right? This, I can't. And my manager actually had the gall to question my work ethic. Don't you have any pride in your work? I will never forget those words. Whoa. Oh my goodness. So infuriating. Um, and it didn't help at the time that, that she was a woman, my manager. It was like, no way. It was just a, it was just a bad experience overall. But anyway, I get through that because she moves on and we get a new manager. New manager's great, loves me, tells me if he could clone me and, and everything, he would have the best state in the country. Like, clearly, Washington State would be the best if he could just clone me and put me everywhere. Loves me. Loves me so much, in fact, that when another region that is close by but still out of my territory falls under numbers, uh, he's like, hey, Kyle, I need you to cover this area because they're undermanned. And it's only temporary until I hire new people and they get trained up, right? And I was, I was at first, I was like, okay, well, you do understand that that means, like, I'm going to be on the road, like, way more, because it's going to be an hour before I even get to this territory, and an hour before I get home, that's, you know, basically, I'll only be working a six-hour day for you on a, on a normal eight-hour day, you know, because I'm going to be commuting like crazy. And he's like, nah, it's cool, I've got your back, we're good. Well, then he got demoted for 
shenanigans off to the side and I got that woman back and she just left me there and she did not have my back and all of a sudden it was review time and it was like yeah I'm busting my ass and she's like Kyle your numbers are crap and I'm like yeah I know <laughs> you know I'm I'm only working technically you know uh, a, a a portion of the day whereas everyone else is able to put in a full schedule i'm in an undermanned territory and i don't live in that territory like you're telling me that my numbers are crap and i'm like yeah duh but i was i was blamed for this and i had <laughs> it, it, it was it was nuts to me it was like completely you know that this particular person was just oblivious to what we were going through and I don't know what her history was or baggage that she came into it with. But she gives me a terrible review because my numbers are garbage. Then she hires three people for my, for that territory. Still doesn't move me back to my, you know, home base. Uh, and then, of course, my numbers jump from the bottom third to the top third in three months. And she's like, oh my god, Kyle, this is night and day. What did you do? And I'm like, I didn't change anything. I am doing everything the exact same. The difference is, you know, I finally have help. Oh, no, no, no. You must have changed something. No. Um, and there were other things. It was, it was completely crazy. And this whole, like, you know, I had to learn on the fly, basically, that, you know, you have the company policy and then you have what your manager wants. And those two things are different very frequently. So, like, company policy was don't hoard parts in your van on the off chance you need them put them back in the system because there might be somebody on the other side of the country who needs that thing you know that's why we have warehouses everywhere well my manager didn't want that she's like your van is empty and i'm like yeah because i've only got what i actually use Oh no no no! You need to you need to load it up. You need to you need to fill it up with all these extra parts and everything else. Because what if somebody in the team needs something? And I'm like, but that's not, you know. And so we were constantly butting heads. And again, I was dealing with this. You know, the company says one thing very clearly, and there's no ambiguity. They do not want us hoarding parts in our van. My manager, on the other hand, is very much yeah, fucking hoard parts in your van. And I'm like, that's not no. That is that is not cool. You know, and again, 15 hour days. And then, of course, on top of all that, being blamed for not having the greatest numbers in the world for what I considered completely reasonable uh, reasons. Yeah. But yeah, I was I was cheated out of it. I was getting bad marks for doing my job for towing the company line. I left there. I went to another company. My uh you know, uh, I didn't care for that. I was never home and we had just had our first child. So I was like, I can't, I can't be a dad or anything here. I'm useless. I'm not home ever. <laughs> so I quit that job. I find, I find one that's, that's pretty decent. It's okay. It was very much just okay. Um, but once again, that company ended up moving because, they didn't like the Pacific Northwest. They wanted to move the factory to Texas. So they did. I didn't go with it. I didn't want to go to Texas. And also, they, did, they didn't offer me. I was a contractor. They didn't offer me a chance to move or anything. And I was like, okay, great. And then I stayed a contractor a while, and that was always fun, getting you know raked over the coals all the time and treated like garbage and no benefits whatsoever. And I had to lean heavily on my wife for her benefits. She was able to maintain her employment during this time. And the whole time I'm just sitting here like, I was, I was told that if I do things right, I'll, I'll get something. And I got lucky meeting my wife and, and, you know, falling in love and getting married and all that. And I'm lucky today that she's still around, but there are a lot of guys out there who, who aren't as lucky. You have to understand, you know, take my situation and subtract my wife and kids from it. And that's where you get those January 6th insurrection school shooter people. They're confused. 
Something's changed. They don't know what. The promises of the past no longer apply. There's no prologue to this story because what happened before doesn't count anymore. We're going to the mines and busting our ass, but we're not getting paid anymore. We're the first ones to be let go, and we did everything right. You know? Um, and because of the culture shifting, again, we were raised a certain way, and we see these movies, and it's projected back at us. We're supposed to be these, you know, violent almost. Do you want to be nice, or do you want to be effective? Right? Fuck you, that's my name. These pictures of manliness is to be stern and almost edgy and angry. Asshole. It's a title. One you wear with honor. You know? That old curmudgeon in the corner where you work who's just like, ah, these fucking kids these days. That was something to be aspired to. That was the guy you wanted to be friends with. That's how it was pushed. That's how it was sold. You know, it's very easy for these things to happen. You know, it's 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 one of the reasons I actually have sympathy to a degree. Don't rip my head off for Kyle Rittenhouse. I could have very easily been Kyle Rittenhouse. I mean, the the story is there, right? If I had a different temperament, if I had different people in my life. I could have very easily seen the same thing. I've always been... I, I used to be a very big Law & Order guy. I used to be very black and white. Because it was just easier. Especially the environments I was in, going from the military, especially the, the, the submarine community being extremely male-dominated. You know, you, you go from that community uh, into the tech community, and, you know, yeah, there are women there, but they're not... They're not the majority, you know, you're still in an extremely male-driven environment. And if you have a woman as a supervisor, oh, holy hell. I've, I've had women as managers and supervisors, and I never had a problem with it. But boy, did other guys do. Jesus. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's it's just nuts. Sometimes uh, the things that go on, the, the, the blatant misogyny and everything else you see... And I want to look down on them. I want to put them in their place and be like, hey, fuck you. She, she earned her job. She didn't sleep her way to it or, or whatever. But it's way too rampant. Me talking down one of them isn't going to change anything. Like, there's a cultural reason why this is happening. And so it didn't shock me at all when somebody like Donald Trump won. And it didn't shock me that Hillary Clinton was as unpopular as she was. She embodied everything males were designed to hate. We were designed, we were made this way by society, by our culture, to see somebody like Hillary Clinton and immediately dislike them, distrust them. And, you know, even I'm not, I'm... I'm probably guilty of it to some degree. I think I got my dislike for her from my mother, who sometimes she just irrationally hates somebody. <laughs> and I don't know why. Both my parents are like that. And I think everybody's like that. At least I, I hope so, that everyone just sometimes you have an irrational hatred of someone. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's weird. Um, my mom hated Hillary Clinton and Garth Brooks for reasons. Uh, nothing tangible, nothing that ever affected her in any way. Uh, it's not like she hated any policies that Hillary Clinton proposed as a senator. I don't think she follows uh, politics that much. And Garth Brooks, it, she didn't hate him because of his music. He gave an interview one time that pissed her off, and ever since then, she just hated her, hated him. Uh, and uh, Sandra Bullock, she did not... No, 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 not Sandra Bullock, excuse me. Um, shoot, Aaron Brockovich. I'm losing it. But anyway... Just irrational hatred of people for no reason. I'm kind of that way sometimes. Usually with athletes, I'll just like, nope, don't like them, don't care. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I hope everybody's like that. And I think you're allowed a couple of those uh, when it comes to celebrities that you've never actually met, where it's just like, no, this person rubs me the wrong way, I don't like them. 
Uh, one of mine right now is, uh, for sure, it's Justin Bieber. I don't know why I don't like Justin Bieber. I definitely don't like his music. But him as a person, I also don't like. And I don't get that. I don't know why I don't like him. But I just don't. You know, because there are plenty of musicians uh, and artists who I don't like their work, but them as people, I don't have an opinion on one way or the other. Not for Justin Bieber. Nope. Don't like that dude. Couldn't tell you why. Just don't like him. Not at all. And other people I don't like for reasons. But some of it, you know, Hillary Clinton embodied that that's what you're supposed to hate Kyle that's what you're supposed to not want so it doesn't shock me that conspiracy theories are on the rise and someone like Donald Trump is seen as a savior it doesn't surprise me that men are looking to claw back what they think they've lost. And that's the amazing thing, right? We we haven't really lost anything. It's all in our heads. If you're a straight white male in this world, in this country, you've still got a hell of a head start. I mean, for fuck's sake, if, if you're not succeeding as a straight white male, that's you. And the problem is, is that we can't we can't admit that. Our egos won't let us, right? That there's something wrong with us. And the tools we've been given in the past don't address this. We, we, we don't know that we have to talk to people. We don't know that we have to do anything. Um, we don't know that we're isolated more than we've ever been. We don't realize it. And the internet and capitalism and all of it has swirled around against us and created this perfect environment to create a destructive male toxicity. We are confused men. I'm getting out of it, I hope. Some of it is through simple things like, yeah, I go to meetings for my problem. Um, these days, I don't work the steps. That might change in the future. I'm open to them. But right now, I'm not working the steps. I'm going to these meetings because I have built relationships in just the last few weeks with people. I go to the meetings to see people. I go to meetings to talk to people. It's, it's kind of like a, its own little social club. And yeah, in those meetings, because we're all addicts, we, we do have a shorthand. We don't have to tell everyone our backstory because they already know it. Because it's theirs too, right? Um, I'm going to a meeting today. Even though I really don't want to, there's one particular asshole there who I don't like uh, and drives me up the wall. But I'm going to go there uh, because it's the other people in the room. And I, I don't even have anything to say. I it's it. Sometimes I go to the meetings. I don't say a word. I go there to listen. And I think that's that's a that's another big problem men have. Honestly, since going you know going to AA, finding a right group, you know, find yourself a right group if you need to. Um, I think this whole country could could go with some AA right now. We could all do with just going into meetings. Because I realized something, we're all addicts, every single one of us. We just have a different substance of choice. And when it comes to men in this country, I think right now the problem is what we're addicted to. It's not alcohol, it's not drugs, it's not ego. It's victimhood. The victim mentality. You know, I didn't get, I didn't, I did nothing wrong, but I was laid off. You know, I did everything right, yet my wife cheated on me. Or, uh, you know, I, I work out, you know, I got my six-pack, I have a high paycheck, but no woman will sleep with me. You know, and, and, and so we, we convince ourselves. And obviously, this is an extremely black-and-white way of putting it. There are shades of gray. You know, and maybe in some of those cases, the victimhood is justified. I still will stand by. That first time I was laid off, I did everything right. I was laid off because I did everything right. And I'll stand by that one. Now, everything after that, well, my foundation was shaken. My core was shaken. I was a different person. And I did act differently after that. It was like, well, what's the reward for busting my ass? Because as far as I'm concerned, my reward was getting laid off. So maybe I won't bust my ass anymore. 
that makes sense to me. So the victimhood mentality really kicks in and it takes hold and it is a drug. It is a drug. It's just as bad. You know what's even better? When you can go on to a, a Reddit page or a Facebook page and you can, you can share your victimhood with the world. You can be like, man, this happened to me. This person treated me the wrong way. Uh, my favorite TV show was canceled. They replaced it with this, this new one that, that I don't, I can't connect with at all. And, you know, I don't like Star Wars or Marvel. And those are the only thing anyone's making these days. And I have nothing to go to. And, you know, uh, the fucking football players are kneeling during the national anthem, so now I can't even have my football and, and basketballs all a bunch of rich, spoiled assholes. You, you, whatever, right? You can just you just grab onto something and you can just hate it. And you can be mad. And the best thing about the internet is you can find other people who are just as mad about all this shit as you. And it becomes a huge echo chamber. And what I found out a long time ago in the Navy, I was in a shit situation where our chief was a coward and wouldn't let us leave even though the boat was out to sea we were in port nothing to do literally we were in an office building just wasting time there's nothing for us to do yet he demanded that we be there you know at muster in the morning which is like 7 30 and we had to stay there until 6 p.m at night but there was nothing to do there was no boat so my entire division and this was only my division. Every other division just like walked out at like nine in the morning because that's what you do. Uh, but my division had to sit there in an office, stare at each other. We were all victims of our chief's cowardice. And we all sat there and it was an echo chamber. But what's what I found out very quickly was that it wasn't just I was announcing my grievance and somebody was, you know, listening to it and then repeating it back to me. You know, that's what we all think happens in an echo chamber, and that's true. But what else happens is it gets amplified. The more you talk into that echo chamber and the more you hear yourself coming back to you, the more angry you get. So you might go on to a message board with a petty grievance, but by the time you walk out, it's a raging volcano of hate, and you're just pissed off at everything, and there's no way to decompress. And then you do this every day. You're constantly going onto your phone or onto your computer and you're reaching out to these people because, you know, to a degree, it is helpful at first. It's very helpful to know that you're not alone. Um, you know, uh, this is going to sound crazy, but, you know, I had a bad string of girlfriends who, again, I did everything right. But as soon as I went out to sea, I was cheated on. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm the perfect boyfriend. What the hell? Right? They would even tell me, no, Kyle, it's not you, it's me. And I'm like, well, then what the fuck? So I had a very bad opinion of women for a while there, as, as far as relationships were concerned. I was like, oh, no, fuck women. And it was helpful at the time that during this, you know, uh, a rapper like Eminem was there, and he was frequently rapping about women being completely just 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 completely demeaning women you know fuck women they're liars they they you know they're just just use them for sex and kick them off right i mean whatever even though that was the wrong message overall and it it still is uh at the time the place i was in it was good to hear that yes okay fine i'm not alone like it that's really what it is it's that connection it's i'm not alone other people feel this way too and because Eminem is doing well at the time and was selling like crazy, you have to figure other men are out there and they feel the same way. You know, th there's a reason why that resonated with me. And of course, it was a phase. I moved past it, but it did help me through that period because I was just like, man, what the fuck? I was extremely pissed off all the time about this. And yeah, listening to that helped. The problem we have right now in America is a lot of men listen to that in the echo chambers on the internet, and that song is on repeat, and it's constantly being repeated, and they can't move past it. They just can't. The internet won't let us, you know. 
And then you've got this new phenomenon, quiet quitting. Well, wait a minute. If I bust my ass, I don't get rewarded for it. In fact, I've been punished for that. So why should I work as hard as I can right now? Like, that's the that's the part of the argument that Bill Maher didn't get last week on his show. Like, no one was on his show defending, hey, you know what? People wouldn't be quiet quitting if their bosses treated them better, if they were compensated better. That never came up. No one was defending us. And I don't even believe quiet quitting is even a thing. Anything printed by a for-profit press is owned by a billionaire somewhere who would love nothing more than to shame people for not busting their ass 24-7 for them. You know, you're not going to convince me that the Washington Post has my best interests in mind when it's owned by one of the richest assholes on the planet, and he also owns a company that is exploiting the shit out of human beings every day. That's just not... I'm not going to buy it. So if Washington Post is having op-eds about quiet quitting and how it's a dredge and how nobody wants to work and it's horrible how this whole inflation issue is just because people don't want to work because of the pandemic. Sorry, I'm not buying it. I'm just not. Your for-profit bullshit's not going to convince me otherwise. I've lived for a while. But it's music to people's ears who are in the older generation who historically typically look down on the you the new generation i mean it's it's cliche oh you kids don't know how good you've got it back in my day right it's very common to hear it feeds into it though it's 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 crack for them they love articles like that ah see i'm not i'm not alone other people think young people are assholes too and it works But it's that connection, the driving need to connect. Men are not connecting. Men are alone. We, we are totally isolated. We may be seeking substances to help get us through it. We're going on the internet to find friends. It's not the same. It's not the same. We are not connecting like we used to. We don't know our neighbor. I don't know my neighbor's names. I don't. I found out my neighbor's name just the other day because a package of his was delivered to my house on accident. I was like, oh, who's Matthew? <laughs> I read the address. I was like, oh, shit, that's his name. I never even met the man. He lives 20 feet to my left right now. The only time I've ever interacted with him was returning a package. That was it. I don't know my neighbors. And I own my home. I don't know these people. There are kids across the street. I know their kids' names. I don't know their parents' names. And I see the parents all the time. At least once a week I see them. I have no idea what their names are. It's it's terrible. But that that's where we are. And it's really opened my eyes. You know, you, you can you talk trash about AA all you want. Yeah, it's got its flaws. Trust me. Um... I'm surprised I, I put up with it as much as I do. But, you know, take what you want, leave the rest, and that's how I go in. Because the talking does help. It really does. And and not like what I'm doing right now, like podcasting. This is what I thought would help earlier. I was like, well, maybe, you know, this is my way to connect to the world. But this is a one-way conversation. I'm talking to you. I'm not getting any feedback. Not immediately, anyway. And a lot of men, they, they don't know... They don't know what they don't know. And my generation is hurting right now. They really don't know how to move on anymore. We don't have friends. We communicate digitally. We've got this problem where we were told that money would be the answer to all of our problems, or at least make our problems easier, right? It should be easier to find a spouse if you're financially secure, right? You, you would think that. But we were never taught how to talk to them. Our examples were, you know, drive our enemies before them, crush them, and hear the lamentations of their women. Uh, that's not exactly a great conversation starter. You know, we didn't, we didn't have much. We still don't. We play video games online, but the most popular video games are first-person shooters. We're literally going around pretending to kill people all day. That's not a social activity that's all that great. 
We're isolated. A lot of us are overweight. We don't know how to communicate anymore. And you've got the internet there that is more than happy to keep you on their site, right? There's no button on Facebook that says, hey, these are the friends in your area. Would you like to schedule a meet? Of course not. That button would be very popular. People would like that button. But if you click it, that means you're no longer on the website. So, yeah, you've got problems there. The internet is designed to keep you there. And if being angry and pissed off and just a huge ball of rage all day is what keeps you there, then they're going to keep you there that way. And we don't have anyone really pushing for it. The last person I, th the, the person I currently think of who could do it would be uh, Barack Obama. You know, he exemplified more of what I think the ideal male image should be. You know, he loves his daughters. He clearly loves his daughters and his wife. Um, that's never been in question. I don't know anybody uh, in good faith, of course, arguing that, that he doesn't love his family, that he is a family man. Uh, he is well-spoken. He is educated. He has acquired means and knowledge in an effort to protect himself and his family, to provide for them. Uh, he is not overly aggressive he is not uh misogynistic or demeaning he doesn't talk down to people a lot of people felt feel talked down to because of his education status like you can just tell yeah this guy's ivy league educated right and some people you know instinctively kind of recoil at that you know and, and i get it but but he never tries to do that that's not his intent you know he doesn't insult people all day or anything else um, basically a complete opposite of, you know, the orange God King. Um, but, but the problem is that he's no longer president. And I think Biden, while he is correct that we do have a fascism problem here and we need to call out the MAGA Republicans and we need to try to appeal to the lesser demons of that party. He's missing the problem. The problem isn't the leadership. The problem isn't you know, even Trump anymore, the problem is the base is angry. The base is vengeful. The base wants us to be angry as well. You know, that whole joke about, oh yeah, liberal tears. Yeah, they love that. That's why they wear the shirts they do. It's why they wear the hats they do. It's why they go to rallies and they cheer when Trump is mocking us. They want that. They need it. It's it's a drug. It's a drug. We are a nation of addicts. Every single one of us. We are all addicted to this problem that we have right now. The internet is amplifying it. But I think, you know, more than that, we have a cultural problem. And Biden is not up to this particular task. He's got a lot of strengths. One of them, unfortunately, is not being able to control the microphone, control the bully pulpit get up there, give examples constantly, and and exemplify what we should be. He's of the wrong generation to do that. Um, he He's very much a pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps guy. He'll give a few pennies here and there because he is a Democrat and his base requires it, but I don't think his heart is in it. Um, the, about the only great thing about him is that he loves his son who is as far as i can tell and obviously this is only the public eye i don't know the man personally is a fuck up but he loves him unconditionally and i think that is an example we all need to take from him is like hey we need to love people regardless of their mistakes in spite of their mistakes we need to help them through their tough times regardless we don't just shove someone to the curb but what we could use right now is somebody influential, somebody with a microphone who can break through it all. Unfortunately, the only position I can think of like that is the presidency. If you're the president, all eyes, all ears are on you. And I'm really worried that 
it's going to be a long time before we get someone who can reinforce that this is what it means to be male in the 21st century right now because we're being replaced with robots you know they the the mantra you know that the charlottesville assholes were screaming is partially correct they've just got who the villain is wrong the villain is not the jews never has been it's the robots coming to take your jobs okay those truckers who love trump as soon as ai is good enough to take their job all of them are out even amazon workers right now who are unionizing and trying to fight for a living wage and everything else trust me as soon as the robotics are capable to move a package from point a to point b without you you're out of the job okay capitalism is here it's going to take over really hardcore and if we don't have some kind of you know basic living income that is given out we are all going to be out of the job very soon there will always be jobs for humans. It's going to be a while, I hope, at least another generation before AI is good enough to just flat out replace us entirely. But it's coming. We're going to be losing our jobs. And if we don't grab a hold of this anger right now and redirect it at a minimum or squash it entirely and let people understand, you know, like money is not the answer you know how many how many different stories of people winning the lotto do you have to hear where their lives become hell afterwards how many stories like that do you have to hear to realize it or how many stories do you have to hear of like you know do you really think mark zuckerberg and all those people are happy the problem with making money the root of happiness is that there's never enough of it you never actually become happy the goalpost is constantly shifting But we don't have that ideal. You know, what What does it mean for me to be a man these days? I need to constantly devote myself to my family. I need to acquire skills and knowledge to protect them. But not just them. I think we need to go past that. I think being a man means that you have acquired the skills and the ability over time to protect people who cannot protect themselves. We need to go above and beyond just seeing our, our friends and family. We need to see our neighbors. We need to seek higher cause. I think that's what it means to be a man. You can't connect yourself to your job. You can't say, I am a technician. And you can't just leave it at, I am a husband or I am a father. You have to be, I am a defender of the weak. I fight for those who are oppressed. And we all fight in different ways. I'm not saying, you know, physically take up arms or anything like that. We fight in different ways. I do this podcast. This is how I fight. I fight oppression this way. I try to stick up for, this, for the low guy by doing this. This is how I know how to do it best. I'm not going to stop trying to, you know, continue, carry on. I'm going to acquire skills and knowledge over time so that I can better help the people behind me who are still coming in. I'm hoping that I can reach one of these men who are lost and move forward. That's what I'm hoping to achieve by all this. That's what I'm, I'm my goals are, is not just raising my kids to be the best men they can be, but I'm not going to leave my fellow man on the side just because he's not blood related to me. We need to look out for each other, and I think that is what we need to make the definition of manliness in this country in this time period. Because the old rules no longer apply. You can't be the silent stoic type. You can't be Dirty Harry. You can't be Conan the Barbarian. That time, if it ever did exist, is long gone. We need to learn to share this world with our fellow man, and that does mean defending him when he needs help. That means coming to their aid when we can. We need a voice. We need somebody with the 
ability to magnify that message out at a, at a very large large amount so that so that everybody can hear it and realize that there is another way that this toxicity this going onto the message boards and the victimhood mentality and woe is me turns into anger it's that stupid you know uh, 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 uh star wars line <laughs> fear turns to anger anger turns to hate hate turns to suffering like it's true it totally is I could have very easily been a racist as a kid. I, I got beat up by these black kids one time in high school for no reason. I was walking home alone and there were 20 of them. And I got jumped for being alone and I didn't know who they were and I couldn't recognize them. I kept my eyes down and my head on the sidewalk, but I could have, I could have been racist easily. All I would have needed in that moment was the right nudge. Thank God I didn't have, you know, the internet and the Reddit message boards that we have today. I might have found one that doesn't come right out and say that they're KKK racist assholes. Because they're sneaky. They know they can't come out and be like, yeah, we're Nazis. Yeah, they know that. So they gotta hide it in language. I was totally susceptible to that. I was lucky. So we need, we need to put out that this is what it means to be adults, to be human, to be men. If you ask me, what is it to be man? I acquire skills and the ability to defend my fellow man when he needs help. I fight for the oppressed. I punch up, not down. And I share this world with my fellow humans. I don't dominate it. It's not about me. It's about us. Anyway, um, I thought today was going to be heavier on the, uh, the sports metaphors, um, but I kind of went with movies instead because I started thinking about who I was when I was younger and what really influenced me. And I realized that all those quotes in the beginning... Those influenced me more than my, my my dad did. My role models did. I had to grow past that, but I, I didn't I didn't have anything. The movies were it. The TV shows were it. And I know I'm not alone. So I opened with those for that reason. Um, anyway, uh, this kind of went on and rambling, and uh, I'm sorry about that. Hopefully, you guys don't mind. Uh, I intended it to be more scripted, but I kind of just wanted to speak from my own personal experience, speak from the heart, see where this train of thought took me. Uh, so this one was a bit of a thought experiment. I'll try not to be this long-winded next time. Um, and anyway, uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, like, subscribe, share, uh, tell all your friends and everything else. That's how we can get this out there. Um, again, this is a one-man show. I don't have a studio, I don't have a group of people, I do all the writing, the talking, the editing, everything. Uh, everything you hear is 100% me, and it's done with free software. I don't, I don't have any, you know, special finances or anything. This is free software, a home computer, uh, hell, the microphone was gifted to me by my mother for, uh, for Christmas last year, so thanks again, Mom. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, be safe, get vaccinated, get boosted. Wear a mask if you need to. Please be safe. Please be safe. Please be safe. Uh, and we will see you tomorrow. And I have no idea what I'm talking about.